You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Nicole Avina. She is an associate professor of neuroscience at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City and a visiting professor of health psychology at Princeton University. She graduated from Princeton University with her PhD in neuroscience and psychology and completed her postdoctoral fellowship in molecular biology at Rockefeller University in NYC. She is a research neuroscientist and expert in the fields of nutrition diet and addiction with a special focus on nutrition during early life and pregnancy and women's health. Her research achievements have been honored by awards from various groups, including the New York Academy of Sciences, the American Psychological Association, and the National Institute on Drug Abuse. In addition to over 100 peer-reviewed scholarly publications, Dr. Avina has written several books, including What to Eat When You're Pregnant, What to Feed Your Baby and Toddler, and What to Eat When You Want to Get Pregnant. She frequently appears as a science expert in the media on various shows like Dr. Oz show, Good Day New York and The Doctors, as well as many other news programs. Her work has been featured in Time Magazine, Bloomberg, Business Week, various publications, many, many more. Dr. Avina is a member of the Penguin Random House Speakers Bureau. She has the number two watched, most watched TED Ed Health Talk, How Sugar Affects Your Brain with over 13 million views and counting and her new book, Sugarless, is available January 2020. 23, and I'm so excited to welcome you to the show. Oh, thanks so much. I'm really happy to talk with you, Erin. This is such a timely topic to discuss because, you know, while many like to call the holiday season cold and flu season, I like to think of it as sugar season because we have yeah. an abundance of sugar <laughs> during this Absolutely. time of year. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's something that most people can relate to because, you know, this time of year, it's, it's really a challenge if you're trying to eat healthy and be mindful of the types of foods that you're eating, it can be a struggle, especially because there's parties, there's different events. And I feel like this year, especially because we've come off of several years of not having all those fun events and getting together with family. I think now this year, people are almost doubling down on it. So I think there's even more sugar than ever out there. I agree. It's kind of like the roaring twenties are really happening right now. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And it does seem like we are in a time of excess because of the deficiencies that many people experienced, whether, you know, personally, professionally, whatever happened in the last few years. And so this is truly a time that many are celebrating. So can you break down, you know, just, I know you've done so much work on this topic. Why is sugar bad for us? Why should we be concerned? Yeah. So there's a lot of reasons. And so I think initially sugar kind of got a bad rap because people realize that it can cause dental cavities, right? Dental caries. And so it's sort of been known for many, many years for generations that, you know, you can't have too much sugar. It's not good for your teeth. And over time, research started to morph a little bit and look at sugar in some other ways. And one of the ways in which we started looking at it in my lab was how sugar affected our body weight, because there had been a lot of research coming out that suggested there was a correlation between the amount of sugar people were eating in the United States and the rise in the obesity epidemic. 
And so although sugar hadn't been directly linked to obesity, it certainly seemed plausible because if you think about it, you know, when people go on a diet or try to cut back on sugar, it's often difficult. And people often talk about sugar as being the one thing that's super hard to give up if you're, you know, trying to clean up your diet and eat healthy. So we started doing some research on sugar and how it affected body weight. And one of the things that we were narrowed in on was this whole idea about how sugar affects the brain. And, you know, could sugar affect the brain in a way that compels people to eat it? Kind of like how people can be compelled to drink alcohol or compelled to use drugs. And so we've done a lot of research in that area. And what we found is that sugar can actually lead to a variety of behaviors and changes in the brain that are very much like what you'd see with an addiction. And so this part of it, I think, has been very different in terms of the fact that now not only do we see sugar linked to obviously causing cavities, causing obesity, now we're seeing it linked to causing addiction. And with that comes the multitude of other health complications that can occur if you consume too much sugar and you become overweight. And so metabolic syndrome, um, cognitive functioning can deteriorate. Um bad for our immune health. And so there's a variety of different conditions now that have been tied back to sugar and, you know, cutting back on it can really help to ameliorate many of those effects that emerge when people eat too much sugar. Yeah. You know, and, and something that I think is also so important for many of the listeners is that many of my listeners are parents with um, any, you know, small children to teenagers. And I know that our kids are exposed to sugar. I mean, gosh, it, it's everywhere. And I, I have an eight-year-old, five-year-old, an 18-year-old. She's kind of making her own choices at this point. But for the little ones, I don't know how to get them off the cycle. Like, I know that it has an effect on their brain. What is it doing to a developing brain? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's such a great, great question. And it's a concern that a lot of people have. I'm with you too, because I have little kids and a teenager. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's interesting because at different phases of life, it's, there's different types of challenges associated mm -hmm. with getting the kids to eat healthy and reducing sugar. Um, but it is important because we know from the research that sugar affects the brain and how it develops. And what we're finding is that even during pregnancy, before a baby's even born, when a woman is over-consuming sugar, it can lead to changes in the brain in the offspring that kind of position these little babies entering the world craving sugar. Just like, you know, babies can be bored addicted to crack or cocaine because their mothers were using it when they were pregnant. Same can happen with sugar. And so what we're happen what we're finding at least is that many children are coming into this world in many ways already programmed to be addicted to sugar. And it doesn't help that most of the foods that are out there in the grocery store that are marketed towards kids are highly processed with lots of added sugar and really just kind of perpetuate that cycle. It also doesn't help that most schools, at least the ones I know of, certainly the ones my kids go to, are very laden with sugar. I mean, sugar is given as a reward if you're, you know, doing a good job. The nurse gives you a lollipop. I mean, there's like just a litany of places you can get access to sugar in the school. And so one of the challenges that parents face is, you know, helping their kids to not only reduce sugar, but make good decisions about it. Because the reality is you can control what you have in your own home. You can limit the amount of sugar you have in your house. But as soon as you put those kids on the bus, 
that that's it. They have to be able to say no themselves. And so one of the things that we've tried to do, at least with my kids and what I advise parents on is to really, you know, not impose limits where you're telling your child, no, you're not allowed to have sugar. You can't have sugar, but instead change the conversation to be about why they need to limit it and the health concerns and, you know, how, what they do to their body now is actually impacting their health 10, 15 years from now. And it might be tough for a seven-year-old to get on board with, you know, what they're doing now affecting what they're going to do in their twenties. But if you talk about it enough, by the time kids become a little older and teens, especially, then they can start to put those things together. I think it's really important that we teach our children to be able to understand their limits and, you know, to make the decisions for themselves, not to just, you know, as parents impose these, you know, strict rules, because I think at the end of the day, it's really going to be up to our kids to take care of themselves and take care of their own bodies. Yeah, that is such a good point. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think the conversation, the way we talk about it, like my brain, your brain is going to respond differently depending on what you put in it. And I think the older generation, this is where it gets real tricky with grandparents, right? The older generation thinks, oh, it's just going to make them hyper for a little bit. (laughs) And that's it, right? I mean, I've heard that, oh, well, they'll sleep it off. They'll run it off. They'll, you know, all these things, but it's totally, it's more than just making kids hyper for a little bit or making adults hyper for a little bit. Can you kind of explain the addictive properties and, and what is even going on that keeps us going back for more and keeping that tolerance, I guess, increasing? Yeah. So that's really what ends up happening is that, you know, parents, grandparents, you know, teachers, sometimes they think, oh, it's just a little bit of sugar. What's the big deal? Well, yeah, it wouldn't be a big deal if it was a little bit of sugar, right? right? But it's all day long, you know, day in and day out. So it's not like it's just happening once in a while. Um, And so what ends up happening is that our brains adapt to this constant stimulation of sugar. And what happens is we develop the word that you said, tolerance. Tolerance is where you need to consume more and more of something in order to feel the same euphoria that you used to get from just having a little bit of it. So our kids have become extremely tolerant to sugar. That's why, you know, kids really want, you know, not only just ice cream, but they want, you know, to put sprinkles on the ice cream and they want chocolate sauce on top of the ice cream. They have a much higher tolerance for sweetness they naturally do. Children actually live in a very different sensory world than adults. They prefer things to be much sweeter than adults do. Now, the problem is that, you know, we're constantly stimulating this sweet tooth and this urge to eat things that taste sweet and it changes the brain. And so tolerance develops. So the children need more and more in order to feel, you know, that satisfaction. They also can develop withdrawal symptoms. And so, you know, I think everyone's experienced this, you know, especially when you try to change your eating patterns and say, okay, you know what, I'm going to cut all the sugar out. Well, a couple of days into it, you might feel like you have a headache or you might feel, oh my gosh, I'm so irritable and cranky. And a lot of times people think, oh, my blood sugar is dropping. I must need to eat sugar because of that. And it's actually not. The reality is that you're just going into withdrawal, just like people can go into withdrawal when they quit smoking cigarettes or when they quit using alcohol or drugs, people can go into sugar withdrawal too. And that's because we're reversing, you know, this constant stimulation that our brains were getting. We were constantly stimulating the dopamine system, the brain opioid system with sugar, 
And now we're not. And so what's going to happen is, you know, our brains are going to say, hey, where'd all my sugar go? And the opposite effect happens. And so that can also ensue. And what do you do when you're feeling bad or, you know, irritable or crabby? You get some sugar to make yourself feel better, right? So it's this vicious cycle that emerges where people get trapped and especially our kids on this background of, you know, the social acceptance of it too. I mean, it's not something that's shunned, right? I mean, people applaud you if you bring cupcakes in to school and people are, you know, happy when you come to visit them at their home and you bring dessert. So, you know, we have that added layer to this problem where, you know, society has essentially just accepted the fact that eating too much sugar is okay. And it's not. And that's where I think a lot of people have a hard time making some of the changes in their diets that they really would like to make. Yeah. Yeah. It is a socially accepted drug, you know, for, for so many people, um, because of the way, man, like you said, the the dopamine and the opioid receptors, all of that. Um, I do want to ask because there is a growing movement, it seems, um, the, of maybe it's, you know, mostly social media driven. I don't really know the background of, well, it's not really an addiction. Sugar is not an addiction because, you know, all the studies have shown that sugar is an addiction where there is deprivation. And it's really only when you're deprived or you're undernourished or you're underfed that you're going to be addicted to it. Can you kind of speak to that side? Yeah. Yeah. So that argument, I think is a little bit misinformed in the sense that you know, you can be obese and still be malnourished. People don't understand always the case that, you know, being nourished doesn't always mean that you're nourished with the right things. And so someone could be overweight, but be deficient in vitamin D, deficient in vitamin B, not eating enough, you know, protein and get very, very ill, even though their body weight would suggest that they've been consuming plenty of calories. So we used to equate calories with nourishment. And if you were eating enough calories each day, then you were getting the proper nourishment. That's not at all true. And it's not the case, especially nowadays where most of the foods that are in a grocery store are very calorically dense, meaning they have high calories, but they're nutrient poor, meaning that they don't have a lot of the essential nutrients that we need. So what we're finding is that many people are overweight and obese, and they're also malnourished. And so, you know, when we talk about this deprivation piece, as if it's not happening, it is happening. People are deprived of many of the essential things that they need to have a healthy diet. They just don't even realize it. Now, I think that, you know, a lot of the studies that have looked at this deprivation piece also and we've conducted many of those studies, you know, the deprivation piece doesn't have to be all that very long in terms of the time frame. And so most people, you know, go throughout the day having a couple of meals and a couple of snacks. And most people who struggle with their diet are usually in a situation where they are building in periods of deprivation into their day. And so I've worked with so many people over the years who we'll say, okay, I'm going to skip breakfast and wait till I get hungry. And so that's a deprivation period, right? You're building that into your own diet. Um, And so I think, you know, the addiction part of it, I believe it's real. And I think that we're living in a society that's perpetuating it. And I think that the meal patterns and the eating patterns that most people have are very conducive to the addiction 
developing, especially when it comes to sugar. Yeah, I, I think that that is a really good point. And I think too, there are many people that when we're, you know, even maybe I should have asked this at the beginning, because we're talking about sugar, but I think many people, when they think of sugar, they're thinking of candy, cookies, cakes, donuts, but where do we see sugar playing a role beyond that? Well, so sugar is so interesting because it's actually something that we need as a fuel. This is also another argument that sometimes gets put out there against mm -hmm. this whole idea of sugar being addictive because we use glucose in our bodies to fuel ourselves. We need glucose, right? And so, you know, some people will argue, well, if we need sugar essentially to live, then, you know, how can you say it's addictive? If you need it to live, you, you have to have it. Well, the reality is, yes, you need glucose to live, but you don't need to eat glucose or eat sugar to live. You certainly don't need to eat added sugar to live. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who follow like a ketogenic diet where they don't have any sugar. They don't even have carbohydrates, but they're still able to walk and talk and be alive because their bodies actually make glucose for them if necessary. And so there's this idea that, you know, we need to eat sugar in order for our brains to have fuel, but that's actually not the case. Our bodies will make the glucose that we need for fuel. The idea is that if we eat, you know, a balanced diet, we have, you know, some carbohydrates, healthier ones, then, you know, we'll be able to have a, a well-balanced diet to make it so that it's relatively easy for our bodies to synthesize glucose and put it into the proper packaging so it can get to the cells that it needs to, to function. So I think that, you know, this idea of going without sugar, I, I tend to tell people that, you know, my goal is really to limit it as much as possible. I think that completely cutting sugar out of your diet is not feasible because it's hidden in so many things you don't even realize. Um, and I think when people talk about cutting out sugar, it's really about the added sugar. It's about the foods that contain added sugar. It's not about cutting out, you know, apples and grapes and bananas or fruits. It's not about cutting out milk, which contains lactose, which is a form of, of sugar, but it is about cutting out things that have added sugar, like, you know, like vanilla soy milk, like some of those types of alternative milks, they often have added sugar. So you have to be mindful and check the labels, um, cookies and cakes and things like that. What I, I think you were probably alluding to was what about the, the pastas and the, the flour and that kind of thing. And again, I think most people find that when they cut back on the added sugar, that their cravings to overeat those types of carbohydrates tends to go down. Mm -hmm. And so I tell people, look, start with the added sugar, the easiest stuff first. And then if you find that you're still compelled to overeat pasta or you're compelled to eat, you know, half a loaf of bread, then it's time to start thinking about, okay, maybe those are things I need to minimize or just cut out of my diet for a while until I get a better handle on, you know, my approach to eating. Yeah, that's super practical for sure. Um, what what do you say to somebody who's like, well, what if I just use artificial sweeteners? Um, how, what's the brain? What's the research on on how the brain responds to that? That's a great question. I get that question a, a lot, and you know, I think many of the artificial sweeteners that are out there they can be helpful for people who are trying to wean themselves off of sugar as a crutch. 
But I don't think that people should stop there because what happens in the brain is that it sees the artificial sweetener just like it would see a regular sugar. And so you're not really correcting the addiction. You're just basically masking it with the artificial sweetener. There's also been a lot of studies on those artificial sweeteners that suggest that, you know, they might be beneficial in the short term because they don't have calories in many cases. So you might save, you know, a hundred calories here or there, but studies show that people end up overeating later on if they're using artificial sweeteners. And so your body's going to balance itself out. So if you, you know, save a hundred calories now, but eat 200 calories later, then you're, you're not really, you know, doing what you had intended. So I, I tell people the goal is really to reduce the overall sweetness in your diet and try to get less reliant on all sweeteners. If you have to sweeten your food or you want to sweeten your food, really just try to use actual fruits, you know, natural fruits, whole fruits, you know, pureed fruits. Those are a great way to make sure you're getting the nutrients, the fiber, and you're also getting a little bit of sweetness, but it's in a, a dose that's not going to overwhelm your brain. It's a dose that, you know, we evolved to be able to process. We didn't evolve to be able to process, you know, 50, a hundred times that dose. And that's what we're finding in many of the different products that are on the market these days. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that I am a self-proclaimed former sugar addict <laughs> mm -hmm. and I used to not like fruit because really when you're hooked on, you know, the added sugars, fruit is not that good. It's not that sweet. And right. the first thing for me that went was the diet Coke or the mm -hmm. Dr. Pepper, you know, I'm in the South and we love our Dr. Pepper here. <laughs> and so those were the first things to go for me. And I haven't had any, you know, sugary soda for it's been eight and a half years. That's and great. that has completely, that was the one small step that completely changed everything. And I don't have that insatiable need, you know, mm -hmm. for the, the, it was, you know, there's the comfort there. There's a familiarity, there's the habit, there's the whatever. But, um, I also learned it really kind of makes my brain buzzy for lack of mm -hmm. a better word. Like it makes me feel kind of Hi, woozy. I don't even know how to like, if I have a bite of birthday cake, like the store-bought kind, that's just seems very overly processed and fake to me. Um, it makes my brain feel weird. So. Yeah. It's so interesting. You know, that experience that you shared, I've, I've heard something like that so many times where when people make the decision to cut out sugar, sweetened beverages or cut back dramatically on the sweets, things start to just change and mm -hmm. they taste things completely differently than they had in the past. And the part about the fruit is very, very true. And a lot of people, you know, will say, oh, I didn't even realize that strawberries tasted sweet because I'm so used to having everything be super, super sweet. Mm -hmm. And so now that, you know, I have a, a reality check of what things are supposed to taste like, you know, it's, it's great because then you can enjoy the sweetness of things like fruits that again, they come packaged in a way that's good for us because they have those other nutrients that many of the processed foods just don't have. Most of the processed foods that are out there are literally just calories, sugar, and fat, and not enough of all the other stuff that we need. Yeah. Well, and, and they've been, you know, engineered to hook us, right? Because I mean, the companies, they want to make their money. <laughs> so that's a factor right. too. Well, it, that's, that's a factor for sure. And, you know, also the fact that they're highly processed shelf stable foods, you know, that means that you got to add some chemicals to those products mm -hmm. to make them that way. And I, 
hate to tell you, but those chemicals just don't taste that good. And so one of the ways in which companies can kind of get around that problem is to add more sugar, to mask the taste of some of those preservatives and other chemicals that they have to add to these products to get them to last on the shelf for, you know, two years or whatever it is. And so, you know, we have that added bonus of sugar to mask the nasty tastes, plus sugar added to the products because consumers are demanding it, you know, plus the fact that, hey, it's going to make people want to buy more if we have more sugar in it. So why not, you know, keep adding it? And so I think there's an incentive by companies to, for multiple reasons to continue to, you know, add the sugar into many of these products. Yeah. And, you know, there's a popular documentary and the name totally escapes me right now, all about, you know, sugar being added to things. This was years ago on Netflix, but it also, I remember hearing that like reduced fat, low calorie, low fat milk, skim milk, all of that has added sugar as well. You have to be very careful with the labels. And so when something says it's reduced fat, usually it means it's increased sugar. Right. Because if you're taking the fat out of something, you're taking the taste and the savoriness out of it, too, because fat is, you know, tastes good. But when you do that, you have to replace it with something else to increase the palatability and to make people still like the taste of it. And so often companies will use sugar or other sweeteners to do that. And this kind of comes back from, you know, um, years ago, back in like the 1990s you know, people may remember or have heard about how, you know, there was this whole revolution of heart health and there was a big, big media push to warn people about the dangers of eating too much fat because too much fat's bad for your heart. And, you know, it's good to be heart healthy. And so many products were, you know, removing fat from the diet because people didn't want to have fat in their products. And as a result, they were, you know, adding sugar and so you'd see all these like low fat cookies. And, you know, I remember being a kid during that period, my mom was like, oh, wow, these low fat cookies are great. I can eat them all because, you know, they're low fat. So they're good <laughs> for me. But little did we know that they were loaded with added sugar. And I think that's really when many people got hooked on sugar hmm. was during that period. Um, and, you know, it kind of just grew from there. And now I think we have more of a balance in terms of, you know, product labels and, you know, savvy consumers, I think are aware that, you know, just because something says it's low fat doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you or healthy because you got to really look at that label to see if it has a ton of added sugar, that's not good for you either. And sugar is not good for your heart, just like fat's not good for your heart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. I think about my you know, sugar cravings really increased when I started buying everything light or diet, or, I mean, light mm -hmm. syrup and light. I mean, everything was light and it, but it was so, because it had the artificial sweeteners, it was so much sweeter that I, my demand for the sweetness increased. Um, and that is, that's a true thing. It's not something that was just happening in my head. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a true no. phenomenon. Right. And it was, it was actually happening in your head in the sense right. that when you were drinking those beverages or, you know, eating those fruit cups with the artificial sweeteners, mm -hmm. it was activating the neurons in your brain and thinking, oh my gosh, this is real sugar. And, you know, your body was reacting as a result. And so that's why, you know, I really do warn people when they think that they can just simply, you know, swap out you know, there's sugar and swap in all of these artificial sweeteners. And that's going to be the answer. 
that it doesn't typically work out so well because people find that it doesn't help with the cravings. It doesn't help with portion control. And if anything, I think it really just kind of serves as a Band-Aid. Um, and again, if, it, if it's something that you do here and there to help you kind of wean yourself off of sugar while you're working through that process, and I, I talk about this in my book, Sugarless, you know, different people experience reducing sugar in their diet in very different ways. And so I think there's lots of different approaches. There's not necessarily a one size fits all approach. Some people can find that, you know what, if I just tell myself I'm going to consciously cut back, I'm going to consciously cut back. Other people need those artificial sweeteners to help them as a crutch. And so either way is completely fine as long as it works for you. But you just be mindful that that can't be the end game. You have to kind of think ahead of, okay, now how am I going to get myself off of these artificial sweeteners? Yeah. And is there a way to have a healthy relationship with sugar? Like during the holidays, right? Like, mm -hmm. so, so Christmas is approaching and there are certain treats that my mom makes that were my grandma's recipe that is like, this is what I've had my whole life. It happens once a year. Mm -hmm. Um, and is, is there a way to have a healthy relationship with that without going overboard, without sending somebody into a spiral or a binge or whatever it is? I think there is. And I think that's really what we're striving for, right? Is to have it so that you can have those special moments around the holidays where you're having that, you know, piece of cake or that cuisine that you don't have all the time. And you don't have to feel guilty about it because you just do it once a year or once in a while. I think the problem is that, you know, we live in a society now where there is no once in a while, like we're indulging every day. And, you know, even if you think about it, like, you know, when you hit that 3 p.m. slump and you go to your favorite coffee place to get your favorite coffee, well, now coffee's dessert. I mean, if you're mm -hmm. adding whipped cream to your coffee, it's dessert. I don't care what anybody says. Mm -hmm. And so we've gotten into this rhythm of, you know, making it so that we're rewarding ourselves with these sweet treats all the time. And so it's not special anymore when you have that special cake at Christmas time. So I think that, you know, you can get to that point. I think it's a matter of, you know, trying to work toward reducing the day-to-day -day passive consumption of sugar. And I, I call it passive because people don't even realize they're doing it because it's hidden in so many things. And also people don't really think about, you know, the consequences of the fact that, you know, they're drinking 64 grams of sugar when they have, you know, a frozen latte. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to look at that and say, do I really want to do that? Do I really want to, if I'm going to have 64 grams of sugar, maybe I should spend it on something else, not just this latte yeah. that I'm not really even enjoying. And so I think that, you know, when you start to look at your diet and look at the things you're eating and kind of put it into perspective, it can help to really figure out how you can carve out some space to rid some of these sugars, because, you know, many times people are just passively eating it. They don't even realize it. Yeah. Especially those sugary coffee drinks. I think that's a good point, especially <laughs> this time of year, there's always a new flavor out there. The pumpkin one seems to be, you know, everybody gets excited about that one when that comes around. But every time I think, oh, I remember I used to like that. I'm going to try that. And I even get things half sweet and I always feel horrible afterwards. It is not yep. worth it. But I think I do it once a year just to remind myself it's not worth it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's it's true. And, you know, it's funny when, um, you know, people who I've worked with over the years who love those pumpkin drinks and, you know, love those like special holiday themed beverages at the coffee places, they'll cut back on the sugar 
and then they'll go and have one of those drinks and it's like aversive. They, they just can't believe they used to mm-hmm. drink them day in and day mm-hmm. out because it just tastes so sweet and it, it does become aversive where people just don't even enjoy it. And that might sound crazy when you're thinking, oh my gosh, like I could, you know, spend all day drinking. Those things are so delicious. But the reality is that if you are drinking them regularly, if you're eating a ton of sugar, your brain and your taste buds have essentially just been duped and have just become accustomed to that high dose of sugar. And if you can rectify that by, you know, cutting back and cutting sugar out, you're going to see a completely different experience when you drink those things. Yeah. And, you know, we are seeing increasing epidemics of anxiety and depression and mental health issues skyrocketing. And where does sugar play a role in that? Oh, sugar plays a huge role. I think, you know, you talked earlier, I mentioned about, you know, sugar being like a legal drug and in many ways it is. And just like people who are drinking alcohol and maybe excess, when they cut back on alcohol intake and they, you know, cut it out completely, a lot of times people will say, you know, I was drinking alcohol to manage my anxiety, but then I realized the alcohol was actually causing my anxiety. And so the same happens with sugar. A lot of times people will see after they, you know, cut back on their sugar, that their mood seems to be a lot more even keeled. They don't have those like ups and downs. And, you know, part of it comes from the fact that we're not constantly having these like surges of sugar in our blood. You know, we have these like spikes and then these drops in our blood sugar levels. And that can have an impact on how we feel and on on our mood. And so when you can even yourself out, you know, that can really have an impact on our mental health as well and how you feel. One of the things that's become popular, um, and you may have seen this, is, you know, a lot of people who don't even have diabetes are starting to wear those continuous glucose monitors. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody at the gym or around, you know, they'll have like a little white, like almost looks like a sticker on the back of their arm. And, and a lot of people, you know, wear those if they have diabetes because it helps them to monitor their sugar levels. But people without diabetes are starting to wear them just because they want to be able to have a better handle on how foods that they eat affect their blood sugar levels. Because we know that these, you know, spikes that can happen if you eat something that's really high in sugar, you know, followed by that drop, that can really impact your mood. And so there's this movement of people that are, you know, tapping into that, right, to, mm-hmm. to be able to monitor, you know, what are these things doing to our sugar levels inside and how can that affect how I feel? Yeah. Yeah. That's important. I I think that there's a big connection between, um, even panic attacks and blood sugar issues because they, they feel very similar. So, um, that's, I'm so glad you brought up the blood sugar aspect. So let's talk real fast about your book, sugarless. It comes out soon. Can you give a brief rundown about, um, why we all need this in our life? Yeah. So sugarless is really for anybody who is looking to learn more about sugar, what it does to your health, but more importantly, how you can cut it out and how you can reduce it and practical tips on how to do so. And so, you know, I'm a psychologist. And so one of the big things in the book is really about providing useful tools for people so that they can actually implement some of these strategies to get sugar out of their diet. And so not only are there lots of recipes, but there's a lot of different ways in which you can approach not only, you know, what you eat on a day-to-day basis, but how do you navigate social situations? What do you do when you're eating out in restaurants? 
And it's really great for anybody, like I said, who is just interested in learning more about, you know, how they can get control of their health again. And really by managing your sugar intake, that's the fastest way to make sure you're doing what you can to protect your health. Yeah, that's huge. I know it's definitely something I need on my shelf. I think it'd be a good thing to use even for, you know, a book study or or a book club or something like that, where you have other people holding you accountable, because I think it's such an important topic. So I'm I'm really excited about it. So tell me, yeah. um, Oh, before I forget my, my last question, my favorite question to ask is, you know, the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? Well, I think, you know, related to what we've been talking about today, I think it's really about taking one small step. And this is a big thing that I talk about in Sugarless. It's not about waking up one day and completely changing your diet because that's not realistic or feasible, right? And it's not something that people can usually stick with. We as human beings respond better when we learn incrementally. And that is a fact. That's why you don't teach kindergartners algebra. You teach them the basics first. And so we need to do that when it comes to our diet. And so make one small step, make one decision about something that you're going to do to reduce sugar, whether it's going to be, you know what, I'm going to ditch the coffee creamer or, you know what, instead of getting, you know, a super large coffee, I'm going to get the smallest one that they'll sell me. (laughs) Um, One little thing is a step in the right direction. And if you make one little change every single day, you're going to put yourself down to the path of success. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so huge. Now tell me where can people learn more about you, follow you on social media, and of course get your book. Yeah. So you can learn more about me on my website. It's drnicoleavina.com. And I'm also on social media at Dr. Nicole Avina, Dr. Nicole Avina. Um, and Sugar Less will be available wherever books are sold in January of 2023. And you can also pre-order it um, online. And I'm really excited about it and looking forward to it helping a lot of people. Yes. And we will provide the pre-order link in the show notes. So make sure um, if you're listening and you're like, I got to get that in my life that you check that. So um, thank you so much for being part of the show and for sharing your knowledge, um, especially as sugar relates to the brain, because that's something we miss. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Oh, thanks so much. This has been great. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.